Hello and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Lauren Council, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Good morning and welcome. I'm here today with Eileen Chang, a member of the Department of Dermatology at the University of California, San Francisco. And today she is joining us to discuss the topic of pathways to a global health career. Eileen, thank you so much for being with us here today. If we could start by just having you tell us a little bit about your current role and maybe the trajectory that you've taken to get there regarding global health exposure. Sure. Thanks again for having me here this morning. So I can speak first to kind of where I am now, and then I can talk about how I got here. So I've been on faculty at UCSF, the University of California in San Francisco, for about five months now. So I started in October, and I'm primarily based at Zuckerberg, San Francisco General. The other sort of hat that I wear in addition to global health is inpatient consults. That's always been a really big passion of mine. So that's what I do most of the time at San Francisco General as I've been leading and building the inpatient consult service. And then in my academic time, I've been focused on my global health work. And so sort of reflecting back, for me, I got interested in global health in undergrad after reading some books related to global health that I kind of just randomly stumbled upon. And one of the books that I read was called Prescription for Survival. And in that, there was a bunch of different sort of cases about how really seemingly simple solutions had huge benefit for various communities around the world. And the one story that I always remember and I think about is the story of oral rehydration solution. And so this is a story that takes place or originated in Bangladesh, where a non-governmental organization called BRAC trained 12 million women to really make this very simple recipe of clean water, salt, and sugar that saved the lives of their kids who had dehydration from diarrheal illness. So a very simple concept needed to be adapted and executed to a large population of people, but highly, highly effective. And that was really my hook into global health. So even before I knew about dermatology or went to medical school. And since then, I sort of knew that I wanted to do global health work. So I went to medical school, didn't really know much about derm, found that I loved derm, but then I didn't see how I could kind of blend the two areas until I met Carrie Kovarik, who's done a ton of work in Botswana and elsewhere and been very involved with global health. And she basically showed me, wow, like this is a model of someone who's been able to incorporate both dermatology and global health into her career. And through experiences with her, I saw that I could really blend the two. So my interest in derm has always really been connected to global health. I feel like I sort of grew up in dermatology, always thinking about global health. As a resident, I pursued pretty much all of the opportunities I could find. So I was lucky to be granted the resident international grant to Botswana, and then also participate in the Native American Health Services rotation, which was a great opportunity for me to see that a lot of the issues that were that I saw in Botswana related to access issues are present in our own country. And so there's a lot of this sort of potential for local global exchanges, not just things that are happening internationally, but also relevant to domestic settings. I also had an opportunity to go to India where I saw what a dermatology residency program looks like in a setting that has more limited resources than let's say North America. And then throughout residency, I knew that I wanted to be on the ground for a substantial period of time because I didn't feel like I, with the shorter rotations, had a good sense of like, what are the important things to think about, both clinically, from an education standpoint, through research, advocacy, policy. I felt like I needed to be somewhere for a longer period of time to get a grasp of that. And so I was lucky enough to have received a Fogarty Global Health Fellowship through the NIH. 
And so I was able to do clinical research for a year in Kenya and Uganda. And during that time also was sort of keeping my eyes out and very involved with teaching local residents in medicine and pediatrics. And I also provided a lot of clinical care during that time as well. And then thinking about what are the bigger questions? Where can I make my impact? And then I landed at UCSF and it's been really great so far. Phenomenal. I think you've had a wonderful array of international experiences that I'm sure listeners would love to hear more about in depth or in detail. One of the ones that you just touched on was the Fogarty funding. Tell us a little bit more about that program and how that enabled you to be active in the global health space. Sure. So the National Institutes of Health through the Fogarty International Center, that's one of its sort of branches, has the Fogarty Global Health Fellowship. So the funding is from the NIH, but it's administered through currently six different consortia of universities. And so each of these consortia is made up of several universities, and you, as a prospective applicant, apply to one of the consortia. You have to identify a potential mentor and then kind of work with that mentor within the consortia to come up with a research proposal. And then you sort of together this package of your proposal, you, your mentors, apply for this fellowship. The one that I was specifically part of is through the University of California Global Health Institute. It's called the GlowCal Fellowship, meant to sort of be like global, local. And so that's the specific one, one of the six that I applied through. And so I, in residency, had reached out to Toby Maurer, who's also done a lot of work in the HIV dermatology, global health, Kaposi sarcoma. And I connected with her, and she was my U.S.-based mentor. And then you also have an international mentor. Mine was Dr. Andrew Kimbugu at the Infectious Disease Institute in Kampala. So he was sort of like on the ground mentor. And then this particular fellowship, the Glocal Fellowship, had a third mentor as well, who was supposed to be someone kind of like outside of your specific area who could give guidance and support. And mine was Dr. Jeff Martin, who's an epidemiologist, infectious disease physician at UCSF. That was my group throughout the year. But essentially, you apply through one or more of these consortia and it's an 11-month consecutive on-the-ground experience that's supported through an NIH sort of stipend based on your postgraduate year level. And there's a lot of support and opportunities for networking, which is one of the best aspects of this fellowship. So in July, before everyone kind of disperses to their international sites, you all come together at the NIH campus for orientation, and you just network with, like, all these people at the NIH and other people with shared interests and it's like so inspiring especially you know finishing residency having not really been as immersed in the global health community really focused on learning dermatology was incredibly inspiring to sort of be again back in that space and like really getting to know people and thinking about that aspect again it was two weeks before I took the board so it was a little bit stressful but, but definitely wonderful And then throughout the year, there's different courses you can take through remote learning that many of the institutions provide. So I felt it was like a really well-rounded experience and way to get excellent mentorship, and as well as a lot of formal and informal training and research. I know you recently authored a paper in the British Journal regarding both kind of barriers and opportunities for global health work in dermatology. Walk us through some of what each of those areas are that you focused on or identified. Yeah, so I think when we think about the role of dermatology in resource-limited settings, it's actually kind of overwhelming because there's a lot of things that a dermatologist can be a part of. I think one of the most important things when thinking about this is to always think about sustainability and how to make choices and be involved with work that helps to support folks on the ground in these settings, even when you're not there. 
And so a great way that we can do that is through training and education. And I think in resource-limited settings, both internationally and domestic, that's training folks who are more frontline providers. We might consider them primary care providers. In sub-Saharan Africa, they're often nurses or clinical officers. Clinical officers are kind of equivalent to physician extenders in the U.S., so nurse practitioners or physician assistants, but training them to see and to recognize common skin conditions and then knowing when something is more urgent or emergent or complex maybe needs to be seen by a specialist. If you're lucky enough to begin working in a setting where there are dermatologists to refer to, then certainly they can be referred there. But oftentimes there's really not a dermatologist around. And so I think ways that we can support that as dermatologists is investing and trying to develop postgraduate training programs or basically residency programs in some of these countries. That takes an incredible amount of work and patience and knowing the right people and having stakeholders in country who also want the same thing. And luckily, there are countries that want that and have the capacity for that. An alternative to that also is using technology, so teledermatology, primarily store and forward teledermatology to try to increase access to specialty care. And, you know, dermatology has really been the leader in kind of that model of how do we improve access to specialty care through the use of technology. It's, you know, with such a visually based specialty, it really lends itself to that. And so there's a lot of different examples of store and forward teledermatology being used in these resource limited settings to try to improve access to that specialty level care, like more complex medical dermatology things can definitely be diagnosed and managed through guidance via storm forward teledermatology. One of the things you were discussing was the real benefit of spending a long period of time immersed in the global health arena, um, sort of on the ground to be able to make an impact. For physicians who might be interested in contributing to global health or participating in a global health care delivery model, but don't have very long periods of time to dedicate to the cause. Are there viable alternatives that you can envision or ways that you think physicians who have this passion could be able to get involved in a more time-limited scale? Definitely. I think it's definitely the exception that someone could spend up to a year abroad. There are certainly personal and professional obligations that come into play. Before I answer your question, I think it's that kind of like one year experience is best had, I think, right at the end of training and before you're launching into really like establishing yourself because that's the easiest time to really step away and then before sort of things get rolling even five months into my faculty position I have a really hard time seeing how I would ever take a year um, away from my institution or my obligations now so there are a lot of opportunities both when you're a trainee and when you're no longer a trainee so maybe I'll speak to when you're no longer a trainee there are opportunities through this organization called Health Volunteers Overseas HVO and they have a presence here at the Academy and they have multiple sites around the world that physicians can go to dermatologists can go to for I think it's usually three to four week long experiences and teaching and sort of training local providers is a big part of their work so it's coupling care with service and teaching and and recognizing that you need to think about what impact you're making after you leave. So it's great if you 
see some patients in clinic, but then when you leave, what happens, you know? And so you really need to be seeing patients, but also teaching the people on the ground so that when you leave, that transfer of knowledge has happened and people can move forward. I think a really important aspect of any kind of short-term engagement with work in these settings is to try to find a place that you feel like you want to go back to and sort of to try to keep going back to the same place because that's how you build relationships. In a lot of these settings, just from historical reasons, people are accustomed to abandonment, like someone coming for a short period of time and then never coming back. And so it's really on that second and third and fourth trip that you demonstrate your commitment to really building relationships, fostering those relationships. I'm here, I'm staying, I'm invested. So I think if you can go back to the same place, that really helps. And I think it's also more meaningful for you because that first trip, you're really just getting the lay of the land, meeting the people, figuring out where you are, how you can be helpful. And then you build upon that with subsequent trips. Would you be able to also maybe touch on, we have several listeners that are in training currently still, opportunities for individuals in residency or opportunities that you took advantage of during your training. You mentioned a few that allowed you to get that sort of taste of global health dermatology during your training experiences. Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned there's a few opportunities through the American Academy of Dermatology. One is the Native American Health Services rotation, which is a one to two week rotation that it's usually more sort of second or third year residents can take advantage of. There are, I believe, four rotations available each year. And this is where you are in clinic with a primary care provider in Navajo Nation at the Chinle Comprehensive Health Center. And you're seeing patients with them with dermatologic issues and kind of guiding them from a clinical standpoint and also doing teaching. And then I don't remember the exact deadline for that, but it's all available on the AAD website, very easy to find. And then there's the Resident International Grant in Botswana, which is a four to six week rotation that's open to North Americans, so both Canadian and U.S. residents, where you are providing care in a dermatology clinic at a tertiary referral hospital in Habarone, Botswana, which is the capital city of Botswana. So basically the main and busiest hospital in the country. And so you have an opportunity there to see both patients with HIV, a lot of patients with HIV because there's a very high prevalence of HIV, and then also patients without HIV, and understand how you can take care of these complex patients in a resource-limited setting. And then other opportunities outside of the academy include creative ways of applying for mentorship awards through different organizations. So you have to kind of look into which ones are willing to support international engagements. I was able to go to India through the Women's Derm Society specifically, and so I found that to be a very supportive organization. There's, of course, also the Medical Derm Society, and there's also likely other ones that I'm not thinking of right now, but kind of going a mentorship award route is also another way not only to get you that experience, but to get you that mentorship and that connection, which is a key part of building your career. One of the things that global health has the power to do is to introduce you to lessons that may be translatable to healthcare delivery here in the United States. You know, the idea of community health workers that are involved in the care of patients in multiple global health settings has been translated to sort of urban populations in the U.S. to try to identify what effectiveness that has. I'm curious from your own personal experiences, have there been lessons learned from global health dermatology delivery that you've been able to translate to the delivery of care for your patients here in the United States? 
I think there are a lot of ways that I personally had a lot of lessons from my work abroad. One key concept, and part of that's what you touched on with this community health workers, is this idea of task shifting. So basically healthcare-related tasks that we typically might have a physician or someone with quite specialized training do in a resource-rich setting like the U.S., we can teach some of those skills to folks who don't have as much training. So kind of like leveraging the human health resource workforce that we have and how can we teach them skills that can be helpful. So one example of this is teaching people how to do biopsies. I mean, biopsies we really love to own as dermatologists. In truth, it's not the most complicated procedure to do, especially a punch biopsy. You know, sometimes we debate like a shave, there's a little bit more technique to it even, but like a punch, it's pretty clear what you're supposed to do. And we've been doing that for multiple countries in sub-Saharan Africa. For example, like in, in East Africa, we've been teaching a lot of nurses and clinical officers how to do these biopsies. And some of that work is also now happening in primary care settings in the U.S. So in Navajo Nation, there's a number of primary care physicians who do biopsies. And so, you know, there aren't dermatologists there to, like, take ownership of those patients. And so they're utilizing those skills to do those things. So that's one important lesson. The other thing as well is the use of technology. So in sub-Saharan Africa, for example, they basically leapfrog landline, sort of land-based technology infrastructure and moved right to cellular technology. And it's actually there that we learned a lot of lessons about how to use mobile-based technology to improve diagnosis and access to care. And now you're seeing that people are thinking about using that in the U.S. and other more resource-rich settings. Awesome. Expanding on that concept, what are some of the highlight areas or frontier areas of global health, global dermatology that you think are really poised to transform or have a big impact on the way that we engage with global health over the next, say, 10 years down the road? What are you most excited about? There are a ton of things that I'm excited about. I think the first thing that I'll mention is related to technology. So what are the other ways that we can leapfrog things that we do now in our sort of care cascade? And one big area is point of care diagnostics. So you may be hearing more of this in the lay press related to diagnosis of malaria. There's been a lot of work to try to hone down how do we do that pretty efficiently and quickly in the field. But there's also ongoing work related to Kaposi sarcoma, which is still a major issue, even in the era of highly active antiretroviral therapy. And so making the diagnosis of KS can be quite challenging to a, a general pathologist. We often rely on dermatopathologists here to make that diagnosis. That expertise is usually not available. So we know more and more about the etiology of KS with re- regards to HHV8. And is there a way to actually make that diagnosis in the field knowing that there's a viral etiology? There's a handful of researchers who are working on developing this technology, a solar-powered, field-based way to make this diagnosis. And I think that could be a proof of concept for so many other things. So I think I'm really excited about that aspect. And then, you know, the other piece, too, is I'm really excited about the trainees who are coming in. I can't tell you there's so many medical students and residents who are interested in making global health a part of their career. And they've really been the momentum in driving forward, trying to get more sessions at conferences and finding a home and a place that people can come together and connect, collaborate. And so I'm really excited just about the field in general and kind of like spreading our tentacles to different areas and becoming more engaged. And that will be fueled by up-and-coming dermatologists. I thank you so much for your time. Maybe as a parting question, it sounds like you've had a tremendous amount of exposure to global health 
work, and I'm sure several of our listeners will find your story very inspiring. If someone had, to date, not yet at all been involved in global health, and now after hearing this really wants to get involved or get excited, where would you point them? What would be sort of the first step thing that they could start to do to get involved? It's never too late. And at our session this morning, we had representation from across the kind of career spectrum, people who had not exactly the situation that you're saying and trying to get engaged now. I think we're trying to do a better job of pooling all these resources together. So while today I can't give you the exact website or URL or place to go to, um, I would say reaching out. You're certainly welcome to reach out to me, but other folks who are involved and they can get you started. We're a pretty tight-knit group and very friendly. And so just having one point person is good enough because we can redirect you to someone who's engaged in doing work. And sometimes, unfortunately, these opportunities are not always readily available and it's not always clear from the get-go how exactly do I sort of like logistically make this happen. But there's many of us who know how to try to make that happen. So just don't be shy. Reach out to us and we'll get you connected. Fantastic. Eileen, thank you so much for joining us here in Dialogues in Dermatology and thanks for your insights. Thanks for having me.